Well, ladies, to start out tonight, uh, first off, I, I need to throw a shout out to Josh Kastner of Temecula, California, was cruising through one of the Mead Group uh, deals there on the Facebook uh, thingy, and I ran across this post by Josh, uh, and he, he put some pictures up, and he uh, he had not one, but two of what looked like world-class Mead Bombs that took out the kitchen ceiling. Oh, I saw those. Hall, <laughs> yeah. The, the microwave all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, Josh, he looked like he looked like it was like a oh shit moment for sure. Now's the time, Josh. I chatted with him earlier. Pick up the phone and give me a call. Do it right now, partner. Uh, <laughs> Josh is uh, I, he's going to listen here tonight, and I told him, "Hey, you're first up." So uh, here's the phone number. Josh should be calling here any minute. Oh, uh, cool! He had a uh, he had a kiwi and a uh, I think it was a blackberry vanilla uh, meads going on the kitchen counter. He had just pitched the yeast. Not oh no! <laughs> yeah. That's some seriously. That's some seriously uh, uh, enthusiastic yeast there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, hey, Josh, uh, dude, uh, we don't have a whole lot of time here in the opening, but give me a call. I want to hear about those uh, meat. Oh, yeah. Amazing totally. stuff. That sounds uh, like it's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking after I saw those pictures, I thought, you know, maybe we should have a, a page on the uh, gotmead.com website, uh, meat bomb display. Oh, yeah, we ought to have a me disaster page. It's a great idea. <laughs> tell us tell us your greatest disasters. The better the picture, the more likely it'll be to get featured at the top of the page. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, would be, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it would. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and if we had some uh, gotme.com baseball hats to give away. You, you know, you keep saying that. You send me $500 and I will order at the baseball hats tomorrow. And, uh, I think we got Josh Kastner on the line with us out of Temecula, California. Good evening, Josh. Good evening. Hey, Josh. Tell us, tell us uh, briefly about those two mead bombs you had there in the kitchen. So, yeah, uh, I had just pitched the yeast less than an hour before that happened, and I have never had a, a bomb ever. So I, in six years of making mead and beer, I've never had one and didn't expect it to happen with this batch because I had made the exact same recipe just using a different type of fruit in the past, and I've never had any issues. So, and it's kind of the nothing new. It, it, that was kind of the baptism, then, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so yeah, it took it making me. Yeah, it took us about two hours to clean the kitchen afterwards. I can imagine. I'll bet. Yeah, I've still got a. I've got a um, strawberry mark on the foundation of my house where I had a bucket blowout. Got a. It was basically a run of buckets that was faulty. And uh-huh. the the bottoms were separating. Of course, we didn't know this. We bought the buckets, 
And uh, I came home one day to look like somebody had been murdered in my kitchen and raspberry mead was like pooled on the floor. And I have a hardwood floor, so it's soaked between the wood and into the subfloor and then kind of out the side. And apparently the bricks soaked it all up. So I have this giant strawberry mark on the brick foundation as you're coming up my driveway. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're the uh, you're the mead maker of the house. What did the wife have to say about the uh, mess all over the kitchen? Well, no, I don't have a wife. I do have a oh, girlfriend, and it's <laughs> and it's funny that you should mention that because you know she has been bugging me to learn how to brew for a while. So I was like, hey, what a good idea! And let's, <laughs> let's brew some get some mead together because <laughs> it's nice and easy. Doesn't even require any cooking, and <laughs> and this happens. And I was, Oh, what a funny story. That's hilarious. Um, so we had a good time, and we, we we laughed the whole time of cleaning it up, and, you know, it all worked out. Outstanding. <laughs> well, hey, uh, Josh, thanks for giving us a call here earlier in the show, but uh, just could not pass that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what a great, very what a great story, man. <laughs> I, I just... Uh, you know, to set up for the show, I go cruising through the, you know, all kinds of different places. And I I stumbled across that one and I thought, oh, my God, this has got to be on a mention. Uh, we we got to put it on a show tonight. So uh, well, I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Josh Kastner out of Temecula. You know, you're not that far away from me either. I'm over here on the coast, German Oaks, off the nice. five and the 101. So, uh but hey, uh, thanks for joining us, Josh. You're very welcome. Have a good night. All right. <laughs> Bye. Josh, uh, Josh Kastner, Temecula, California, with the uh, Mead Bombs. And uh, I mean, they're classic. I mean, you talk about world class. Uh, good stuff. But uh, hey, welcome to Got Mead Live here tonight. Uh, getting a pretty good start on things. Nathan and Colin Ryan out of Alberta, Canada. Uh, they're going to join us here uh, a little bit later on. Fallen Timber Meadery. So, uh, yeah. Some Canadians in the picture. We're finally getting the Canadians in here, eh? Yeah, time. <laughs> and then uh, the article, uh, if you can get to, uh, if you want to see part two uh, of the uh, My Little Adventure through mead making, kind of funny stuff. Uh, it's posted, uh, went up last week. So, uh, those of you waiting for it, why, uh, gotmead.com. Go over there and uh, take a gander. Uh, last week we played uh, Name That Mead or Name That Mead Style. Tonight we're going to play Name That Yeast. So uh, you might want to. Uh, I'm, yep. I'm going to let everybody else do it. Just going to sit here and type tweets. Yep. You're going <laughs> to uh, want to brush up uh, on your yeast descriptions between now and the a uh, little later on on the show. So uh, we'll get that uh, here tonight as well. But, uh, Vicki, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking a bunch of stuff. I have um, the second of the three bottles that uh, Frank sent us from Golden Coast, the Orange Blossom. It's uh, kind of an off-dry, great flavor, just a little tickle in your nose, and uh, I like it. It's an easy drinker. I could, I could pretty much drink this all summer long. Yeah. Yeah. And considering it's 60 degrees here right now, it's a good time to be drinking it. So, yeah. <laughs> AJ, uh, what you got in your glass? I have got a um, orange blossom mead, the first batch from one of our fellow God, God meters, um, Kurgoff. He's in the Toronto area. 
Outstanding. Outstanding. I uh, am drinking Moonlight Meteries Fling, Vicky. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Vicky likes this one. Oh, yeah. That's of all of what well, I'll tell you. Um, a little story here. Fling, I love Fling. And it was up until the day before yesterday, my very favorite Moonlight Mead. However, um, I was uh, lucky enough to be asked to do a review on a new release that they're doing at Moonlight that comes out, actually came out yesterday. And uh, it's already up on... Um, it's already up on uh, Vino Shipper for those of you that are looking to ship meat, and it's called Utopia Number no. Nine, and it was a barrel-aged orange blossom, and it was aged in a mm. barrel that had uh, it was a um, oh god, I, I don't have my notes in front of me. I want to say it was a, it was a uh, bourbon barrel that had then been used for Sam Adams beer. I mean, this was the most complex, most interesting, most creamy texture rich tasty just my husband was like can we get more bottles of that (laughs) this is the guy who was like yeah you keep your meat i got a beer here i'm good you know so so that's saying something this was amazing amazing so uh that's my new favorite unfortunately it's also a limited run so um and it's uh i think he said 125 dollars for a 375 mil bottle so it's a premium mead but uh, worth every penny. It was really, really, really good. Wow, cool. Sounds good. Yeah. I uh, I love this uh, Moonlight Meadery fling. Uh, Michael Fairbrother uh, really did this one justice because this brings back really fond memories of my favorite pie uh, that my mm. grandmother used to make, rhubarb oh, pie. Just yeah. awesome stuff. And this is this has got the perfect sweetness level in it. I mean, it's it's... It, you know, it's a it's a dry tasting mead, uh, which kind of offsets that sweetness, and you get that tartness of the rhubarb. I mean, it's just like a rhubarb pie. Uh, this is really good stuff, and uh, thank you, Michael Fairbrother, for that. Hey, the show links tonight. It's really simple. Just go to gotme.com. Everything you need to know is right there. Click on the radio link up there at the top. It'll take you to the radio station page. All of the apps are there. You can take us with you download the mobile apps for both android and ios phones uh your tablet or whatever you want uh we are extremely mobile soundcloud the whole nine yards so uh replays are always available at gotme.com and various other places if you can't get to the gotme.com or if you are mobile and uh whatnot but uh, everything you need is right there gotme.com so we're gonna we're gonna keep it that simple from here on out uh, the Facebook thing simply got me want to hear from you and uh, the various sundry mead groups out there I guess we gosh Vicky we all seem to hit them all at one yeah, point yeah I'm, I'm members of all of them and they all show up on my feed you know so yeah. it's, it's I mean it's all one big community we're just sort of split into lots of different rooms yeah. <laughs> and hey if you can't call us uh, you can tweeter twit how do I you, get that? <laughs> you, can tweet, tweet. Tweet. you can tweet. You can tweet us, us at Got Me Now. Okay, now here's the explanation. And yes, uh, yes, uh, Tyson. Yeah, I, yeah, you were I, uncovered I, last week. Yeah, I do have a Twitter account. Twi- a Twitter a account. Twitter account, okay. <laughs> but 
I don't use the damn thing, okay? <laughs> uh, you won't find hardly anything. I mean, if I have used it, it was probably an experiment that I have no idea. But uh, I don't Twitter, Twitter thing. Uh, so <laughs> obviously, I, I'm gonna let yeah, I'm gonna let Vicky take care of all that. Uh, so if you can't, if you can't call us tonight, you know you can use the tweeter thing, and that's simply <laughs> at got me now. Uh, <laughs> but if you do, if you do want to call us, the number is real simple: eight one eight nine two one forty six eighty eight one eight nine two one four six. Eight zero and please become a supporting member of the GotMe.com forum. Uh, you know the funds help. Uh, you know Vicky with uh, maintaining the website and the servers and the whole nine yards. So uh, it's not like we're paying the rent here. All right, it goes to help support the GotMe.com effort, which is by far, take it from the newbie, the best resource out there because I have seen them all. Uh, and they all point right back home to gotme.com. And given how driven you are, that's saying something. So, Well, it, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, don't waste your time because I've already wasted it for you. I have been to the end of the Internet, okay? And it said, go back to gotme.com. So, you know, like, 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 the, like the little uh, GPS. Was, was there a sign? Make a, make a legal U-turn. You know, and go back to where you came from. Yeah, I mean, was, everything was points it, back. So, so was there a sign that said, this is the end of the Internet, here there be yeah. dragons, or what? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I mean, I, when I, I got to the end, and, you know, there's a little, little website there that says, uh, this is the last page of the Internet. Please turn around and go back to gotme.com. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, yeah. with that. <laughs> Which tells you how long gotme's been out there. I actually was, I was updating my LinkedIn page today. And, um, you know, you had your, like, jobs on there. Gottmead's on there as, quote, unquote, a job. Gottmead has uh, been out there for 19 years and six months. Wow. Wow. Yeah. There you go. All right. We're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, Nathan and Colin Ryan from Alberta, Canada. Stick around. We'll be right back. Located in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Fallen Timber Meadery is named after this region of Alberta, Canada. The area is a hidden treasure characterized by the merger of ranch lands and untracked forests and home to stunning mountain views and Canadian wildlife. It is here where the Ryan family produces pure water-white clover honey and mead as pristine as the namesake Fallen Timber Creek. Inspired by the sublime landscape and the honey it awards, the Fallen Timber Meadery continues to pursue excellence in all of their meads. From classic traditional meads to innovative session meads and braggots, Fallen Timber Meadery is emerging from the wild with great Canadian mead. Visit us online at www.fallentimbermeadery.ca. Hey, this is J.D. Webb for Got Mead Live. You know, winemaking was a way of life for Sergio Mutello while growing up. As an adult, his winemaking led to brewing beer and ultimately his discovery and passion for mead. Today at Melovino, his mead-making skills has earned him countless awards. His signature meads include Pepino, a light and refreshing cucumber, orange, and lemon session mead, and Sinfonia, called the Scotch of Meads, is made with three honey varietals and a blend of three different oaks. Visit them in Vauxhall, New Jersey at 2933 Vauxhall Road, located in the rear of the Millburn Mall. And be sure and visit them online at melovino.com. Shipping to 22 states, try some Melovino mead yourself and book a tour and tasting. 
Melovino, a truly unique and exquisite craft mead experience. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rude, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. Ram's Meat crafts some of the most coveted meads available in the United States today. The Tasting Room at 327 West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan features Shram's Mead in bottles and special release meads on tap. Shram'sMead.com. If you think you don't like mead, you haven't had a Shram's. Uncompromisingly delicious meads since 2013. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a and we are back live here got me live uh kind of exciting uh Kind of a, a exciting night here tonight. We're actually talking to some folks from AJ's part of the world. Yeah, well, kind of. Well, yeah, side not, of the country, but you know, yeah. on the same on the same part of the continent, you know, so, yeah. same country at least. <laughs> the northern third of the continent. So there you go. <laughs> well, Nathan and uh, Nathan and Colin Ryan out of Alberta, Canada. Now, uh, from what I understand from the uh, bio they submitted, this all started after they went back to the family farm and built their parents a house and then those two went ahead and occupied the basement i want to learn more about that (laughs) welcome uh, welcome to the show colin and nathan tell us about the basement uh you went back home you to build a house on the family farm for your parents yeah we had uh we had both kind of moved away after finishing high school and stuff and uh, we both took up carpentry, and um, years later, mom and dad decided to finally build a house, the house of their dreams, I guess, and we came back to build the house for them and um, decided we needed a rainy day hobby because we're, we're about an hour outside of us, out of any of the big towns around here. So, um, yeah, we took up the hobby of home brewing and eventually found a chapter on making mead and seemed pretty fitting being that we had a whole bunch of honey kicking around. That's when we realized our father had about 40,000 pounds of honey in the barn. Oh, wow. Dang. So you you guys give a whole new meaning to the whole living in the folks' basement thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh, But all of our hobbies. Yeah, they managed to get rid of us, but kept all of our stuff. They kept their... Uh, (laughs) Their mistake then, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Your father was a beekeeper. 
Yeah, and he still is. He uh, he still runs all the bees in our operation, and um, he uh, he actually started keeping bees when he was about ten years old, and uh, right in the city of Calgary. And I believe in the late '60s, my grandfather bought the property that we're on now, and um, they moved the bees out here, and it kind of became my dad's weekend job to take care of them. And um, growing up, dad ran cattle and bees, and a few years ago, the cattle market crashed uh, in Canada here, and we decided it was time to, to focus on one thing and one thing only, and uh, that's where the, the meadery expansion added on to, the, to his existing honey operation. Most people, most ranchers raise cattle and pigs or cattle and sheep, but cattle and bees? Up, up here, it works really well because you can work the bees pretty exclusively in the summer and then take care of all the cattle in the winter. And There you go. Yeah. How many hives uh, do you guys have on the property? Uh, 361 oh at the moment. I'm coming to Canada. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. The, wow. The crazy thing is that's actually a pretty small operation around here. Really? Yeah. Alberta's a, a, a huge honey producer, and I think uh, a lot of the commercial operations are running around 2,000 colonies. It was, uh, it was pretty important for us to find something a little bit different to do with the honey rather than trying to compete with businesses that were that much bigger than ours. Yeah, you got like Intermeal over on the east side of the country, and they're, they're a giant operation. I mean, I don't know how many gazillion hives they have, but I know there's a lot of them. Yeah. I think we were talking to them at the Major Cup, I think they said around 7,000. Wow. wow. Yeah, I think we've got a couple I'm not surprised. Guys. Got a couple guys in Alberta that are pushing about twenty thousand colonies. Whoa! Wow! Holy. So we could take a we could take a page off y'all, man. Dang! <laughs> I think there's actually so much honey in the province right now that no one's even selling it because the price is so low. They're just holding it. I see a trip to Canada in my future. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, definitely it's, not like that around here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I see a trip to Western Canada. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. if, uh, if you rent the truck, Vicky, I'll do the driving. Yeah, right. First, I got to get to California, JD, and then we—I'll tell you what—I'll meet you in Seattle. And then there we'll you go. Go, there. <laughs> go visit my daughter. We'll rent a U-Haul and go go. Uh, yep. Border hopping. Oh my Take God. my son-in-law along because he's got one of those. I can go to Canada driver's licenses. <laughs> how many uh, Nathan and Colin? How many? Uh, how many? Well, how many? How much high? How much honey does uh, three hundred hives yield? It's, this year we did about forty-five thousand pounds. <clears throat> so we were averaging about one hundred and forty pounds a hive. One hundred forty-five pounds a hive. Wow! Holy cow! Yeah, we we still do sell a bit of honey. Dad Dad managed to build up about forty years worth of customer base that we couldn't pull the rug out from under, but we're mm-hmm. trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, you know, we have talked in the past here, and we'll we'll get into more of this here in a little bit. But uh, I know that. Uh, I know that you, the honey that you're using in your meads obviously comes from your own hives, but there's also a catch to it. Uh, and this has been a topic of, of discussion down here, uh, you know, for us on the show for, gosh, almost every time we turn the mic on. But 
uh, we're fortunate to have AJ up there in Canada who knows, you know, something about it. But, uh, you know, you, you're using the honey out of your hives, but you're doing so because you have to, correct? Sorry, guys, yeah. I got cut off. My daughter tried to call. <laughs> yeah, we, I've, heard, I've heard you guys talk about this a couple times, and it, it's, uh, there, there is some stipulations on that um, up here. It, it was kind of having your own hives is kind of the easy way into the industry. Um, in Alberta in particular, it was about 2005 that they opened the doors, and they actually created a license called the Cottage Winery License that um, – in our in our province, yeah, you're supposed to have 70 colonies of bees, and you're you're allowed to buy up to 25 percent of the honey that goes into the mead that you use. But um, prior to 2005, if you wanted to start a meadery in Alberta, there was actually a minimum requirement that would have made you produce about 250,000 liters of mead um, before you could even start. You had to have the equipment set in place. To, to get your license. And is that, uh, I've done a little bit of reading because we've got a show coming up uh, that we're planning right now where we're going to talk about uh, sustainability uh, and, and the like, legislative process, you know, regulatory boards, that kind of thing. And, and of course, uh, you know, we're interested in, in talking about Canada uh, because it's rather unique because they do, re- they, they, you know, they have that requirement. Um, you know, how difficult was it for you to get your licensing uh, for your metery? And talk about the classification because you're a, um, gosh, not, winer. <clears throat> yeah, we, yes. Yeah, there's, for us at the time when we, we were going through the process of getting licensed in 2009, 2008 and 2009. It was pretty tricky because there, we're, we're a little ways behind uh, the state in terms of the liquor manufacturing. We're actually behind the rest of Canada in Alberta here as far as liquor manufacturing goes. And um, there was not anymore. Not anymore. We're kind of in, we're kind of just in the swing of a bunch of breweries starting and a bunch of, there's actually quite a lot of meteries and, by capita, but um, there wasn't a lot of people to deal with when we started to get our licensing. So you'd spend days and days and days on the phone, getting from pass from person to person to person, trying to figure out how how to get a license in order to manufacture alcohol. Um, it was quite a runaround and pretty trying. But um, they, the Alberta government here, has now become pretty pretty good about it and they've actually created a checklist that just allows you to you know start at one end and you call the call people as you go and um it still does for the cottage winery aspect of it it still does um require that you have some bees um one of the i guess one of the sideline benefits to, to doing it that way is we actually have some tax breaks on the sales end um, where, you know, you, you can start a metery here without having bees, but you have to do it at a different scale in order to make the tax situation work out. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you got AJ. AJ sitting over there taking notes right now. So oh, yeah, you're, you're going to have to explain. Uh, it's all different for Ontario, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, I, uh, I've actually I, I spent a bit of time this afternoon going through province to province, trying to figure through what uh, what what it was like in other provinces, and I didn't quite get to Ontario. But they really I, didn't make it easy to find anything. No, I noticed that in the yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so Saskatchewan has a very similar program to what we do, and I think Manitoba uh, has even a little bit looser restrictions on it. Um, but most most provinces offer a tax break that is fairly substantial um, for a certain volume of production, and once you hit a certain level, then you bump into the commercial element where your tax rate is. Um, lifts up to be whatever is applied by the province. So, okay, a, a light bulb just went off. Uh, oh, hey, when that happens. <laughs> so, okay, so what I'm what I'm hearing then is that there are different regulations per province. Um, yeah, just like you've got different regulations per state. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. I'm thinking, I'm thinking on the federal level. I mean, I mean, do you have to deal with anything on the, I don't know, what would they call it, federal level in Canada? Only if we're making braggots, then we have to pay an excise tax. So we have a federal brewing license that allows us to use malt. Yeah, there's, there's, there's several bodies that we have, that we report to. Um, the, our provincial government is the only one that actually takes tax from us at the manufacturing level, but um, a lot of the audits and stuff come from the federal level. Uh, it's yeah, it's kind of complicated in that fashion. And then you know, if we want to go down the line and try to sell to other other provinces in Canada, it's it, it's almost it seems like it's almost as complicated as exporting to another country because every provincial liquor board that you deal with has its own rules and regulations and and mm. methods which they run their liquor stores and their liquor board. Yeah. So your your red tape up there really isn't any different than the red tape that we face down here, right, Vicky? It doesn't sound like. I know red tape. Red tape is as deep everywhere as it is here. I, I don't know of any country that I've come across where where there isn't like a mountain of red tape that you have to overcome in order to do something. Yeah, it's just anything. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I, I was thinking on terms that uh, I keep I forget about Canada having provinces and there's like you know several big ones versus the fifty states that we have down here that you know. 50 times the problems, I guess, when it comes to legislating uh, things. But uh, so it doesn't sound like, uh, you know, it really doesn't sound in anything different than, you know, what meters have to go through down here. Uh, I mean, it is what it is, and you got to go through the paperwork. But are you, are you finding that uh, meteries are becoming more accepted? Uh, I mean, there, it, it almost seems like it's easier to deal with in Canada than it is here in the United States because of the simple fact that you know people on the at the government level have no clue you know what what meat is or how to classify it or and I think they're starting to come around but yes. know, we hear from, from eateries all the time who who face this difficulty. Yeah, we we've spent quite a lot of time trying to talk directly with our liquor board and. Um, teach them what we can about what meat is and 
and try and make it all fit and make them understand so it's easier for people you know behind us to come to the the route or the ropes but you know, we were the second ones to get established in Alberta, and I believe there's there's one more fully operational now, and I believe there's a couple more in the works. So, uh, cool. It's, yeah, it's coming along. We I mean, we've got quite a lot in BC already. I think there's ten or twelve in BC now. Yeah, there's they're popping up like all over the place. Our uh, our ratio of meteries to breweries is actually fairly staggering, and it was. Two years ago, I think we had three meteries and 11 breweries. Three meteries and 11 breweries. In the province of Alberta. I believe I'm pretty sure the city of Ottawa has got more breweries than that right now because you're allowed to slap those up on street corners. Yeah, it, they just kicked the doors open. So I believe there's, you know, 10 or 12 in the works that are supposed to be opening in the next six or eight months here. But Okay, cool. Yeah, it's uh, we're right on the verge of the craft beer manufacturing side boom here. So a little um, bit, a little bit behind the times, then when it, you know, as far as the United States goes, I mean, there's hundreds of them down here. Yeah, and we have most of them sold in Alberta, actually, or a lot of them yeah. sold in Alberta. That's the way our our distribution system's kind of worked. Is our we're like we've been a total open market, so you know. Uh, the Alberta liquor distribution chain advertises something like nineteen thousand skis, or yeah, and uh, there's maybe a hundred that were made in Alberta. <laughs> so it was, hmm. um, it was a backwards approach to yeah. So the crowd, there's a lot of competition on the shelves. It just, um, but they they restricted it um, actually being manufactured here. So things things are changing. Well, in 2013, uh, you guys assisted uh, in writing a policy for Braggots, correct? Yeah, that was um, that was there was that was part of the, the major 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of the major industry review that was happening here, and um, we had tried for years to to be able to make a Braggot. And we got close a couple of times until they looked more into it. And we actually shot ourselves in the foot once by explaining it too well. And, uh, and they, they didn't want, <laughs> they didn't want us to make a beer underneath a wine license. And all in all, we shot ourselves in the foot anyways, because now we make a brag and we pay taxes of wine on it. So. <laughs> uh, and a brag is. Kind of he's he's new, yeah. It's a bracket is like I call it. I call it the crossover beverage because it it's got one foot in both the beer and, and the mead world. And um, what what all are you guys putting in yours in your bracket? Oh, <laughs> you name it. Now, now you don't need to give me amounts or anything. I know it's like a big secret, but okay, you're doing an imperial stout bracket, right? Yeah. So this is a uh, yeah, just a. Complete overuse of dark malts. There you go. It's a malted, yeah. you know, kid, it's a malted mead, okay? <laughs> malted <laughs> mead, nice. <laughs> it's a malted mead, pretty much. I mean, there's, um, now, are you guys, uh, are you guys hopping? I know some do, some don't. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. More you'd almost have to with an Imperial stout, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So, um, and I've seen brackets with, I've seen brackets without, uh, you know, it just depends on what's happening, but yeah, JD, it's, it's a malted and in his case, hopped mead. So something. Okay. I'm just, I'm, that's just going to have to go down on the list then. Yeah, go go to b go go to bjcp.org and look up the mead definitions and uh, they they've got the, it's an actual category we well, have a separate category for it at the Mazer Cup as well as any other BJCP competition. I'm gonna and, have to find one to try it and uh, you know um, taste like come visit get, me. <laughs> yeah, have you got rabbit's foot showing up in your stores there? Just, Daddy? you know, uh, just recently, yes. Okay, go look for, I think it's called Diablo, um, is, is his brag. Yeah, it's meddled a few times, but it's a really nice one. So, just say, he should, he's got, I think, two, maybe three braggots now, but uh, since you can get him down in your neck of the woods, go check that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I've had... Um, I've had various other meads uh, so far, and I'm, I'm really kind of enjoying this whole ride. And uh, Nathan and Colin, uh, the biggest reason why you're here tonight is because I chased Vicky down. Again. Uh, and conned her, conned her into doing this radio show so I could learn more about making mead. So. Man basically stalked me for, like, months. It was kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's hilarious because this whole thing is basically JD getting to talk to all the luminaries in the meat industry and talk, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, he's constantly, he's constantly going, we should have blah, blah on the show. <laughs> so, you know, but it's turned out to be, I mean, it was a good thing. It's something I always wanted to do. And uh, he just basically built a fire under my butt. So I got around to doing it. We're, uh, I mean, and, and, and we're having a blast doing it. But uh, we're talking to Nathan and Colin Ryan from Fallen Timber Meadery up in Alberta, Canada. Uh, guys, let's talk about the bees here for a minute because this is a subject that's, uh, you know, been a popular uh, thing on the show, too. Uh, um, and, again, I mean, on this show that we're planning here in the next couple of weeks, uh, it's a major topic of discussion. Uh the colony collapse of a number of years ago, did it affect Canada as much as it did uh, down here in the States? I, uh, we, we had a rough go a few years ago. We didn't, they weren't calling it colony collapse in Alberta. I think that, I don't know if that was denial or what, but, um, we, we had our fair share of problems. Most of it was attributed to the Varroa mite, um, and everything that comes along with it. I believe in, it was, I believe it was the year that we started the meadery. We lost about 70% of our colonies. Oh, wow. It was a shocker. <laughs> and oh. I think the year after that, we lost another 65%. And we've, uh, we've been on a steady climb back up. Last year was actually, you know, kind of a challenge on the whole other end where we had such a mild winter that we had too many bees to house with the equipment that we had. So it, it fluctuates a lot in the last few years. And, not quite as consistent as it used to be. I think last year we had 7% winter kill. Yeah. So that's, I mean, 20% is to be expected. So, um, 
last year was awesome. And the year before that was actually really good too. And it was a, it was a really cold winter. I think it was the coldest winter in 25 years or something. So, um, yeah. don't know why, but they're doing better. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it, uh, well, with 300 highs, I mean, who, who manages all those highs? Can't um, our our dad does both of it. We've, we've now got one, one friend hired on that's kind of apprenticing to, to, to do it with him. But yeah. we, uh, it's kind of a funny story, but I'm actually allergic to bees. So, Oh dear. Oh my. I'm out in the Actually field. the apiary I go to, the, the wife is allergic to bees. So they moved all the bees off site. They just have the processing facility where their farmhouse is. Yeah. My, we, our mother is allergic to bees as well. So. Forty wow. percent of our family is allergic to bees, and definitely oh. bees, and yet we make our flesh off of it. Nathan, <laughs> you've technically been dead before. So. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Now he craves human brains. Ah, <laughs> <yeah>. Zombie need. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's funny. God, dude, that's scary, though. I mean, shoot. And your bees are all right there at the place, right? Because your dad's, it's your dad's place. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't spend a lot of time out here on in August when we're doing all this honey extracting. <laughs> so I can just see him, I can just see him, like, get up and instead of putting on clothes, just go ahead and put the bee suit on, you know? <laughs> yeah. He just have a building littered with heavy pens. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> wow. So you you extract the honey uh, just one time a year, or yeah, we we have a pretty short uh, honey season here. It's only a our honey flow is only about three weeks out of every year. So um, really, we basically renovated Dad's building, so we've got one side is kind of the honey processing side, and we we run that the extractors for about a month every year, and then. Uh, and then all the honey is just stored in drums, and as we need it, we walk it from one end of the building to the other and turn it into mead. Wow. Uh, I just recently uh, met up with a beekeeper that I got some out Uh-oh. Here we out. go. <laughs> he mentions and, uh, this guy just so you know, this, this, this honey comes up every single show. <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about, I mean, his, the, the, the difference between... Uh, how, how they're doing it up, up there in Canada at their place, and this beekeeper that I know where I get my wildflower, uh, he's only, he's it's a small operation, it's a weekend thing, and he's got uh, probably 25 or 30 hives that he tends, uh, but he collects the honey once every couple of months. So, I mean, it's like a year-round thing down here. Yeah. I, I, I'm assuming a lot of that is due to weather conditions. Yeah, yeah, we um, we basically have we're we're fairly far west. We're tucked up in the foothills and kind of outside a lot of the cropland. So our our focus has always been on you know the pasture land honey, which is a lot of the the Dutch clover or white clover, hmm. and it uh, it blooms the same time as all of the wildflowers around here. But the bees tend to they seem to stick to it more than anything. Early in the season, we might get a little bit of dandelion honey, but we typically just leave it in the hive. It's kind of, the bees need the dandelion honey to kind of get back on their feet from winter, so. And, um, well, that plus I've tried to make meat out of it, and it tasted like menthol cigarettes, so. Yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> Yucky. 
Can I, can I just can I just say icky poo? It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit, bit of a medical quality to it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So that so that's when you bottle it and market it as a tonic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because then you don't waste. Then you don't waste it. You know, then it's like, then it's like, uh, then it's like fallen timber tonic for what ails you. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> oh, just, just watch out for the rogue cows that run through the fair and kill people. You know, <laughs> if anybody has seen Thousand Ways to Die in the West, you'll get that. But uh, or a million ways to die in the West. But yeah, everybody, somebody always dies at the fair. <laughs> So what what is the outlook for uh, for bees uh, up in your neck of the woods? Then uh, pretty safe. Uh, they seem to be recovering. It, as as harsh as it is to say, this whole kind of plight of the bees has kind of rejuvenated the industry a bit. There's a lot of there's a lot of research being put into the all of the problems that we're seeing, and as such, there seems to be better management and and. I don't know. The colonies in the last few years have been really strong. Oh, good. Guys are taking it a lot more seriously and paying attention where when it's important. How do you uh, how how do you feel about uh, your you know your your regulations up there about having to use honey, uh, you know your own your own honey? Is that a good thing for the industry? Well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it was certainly a good thing for us. Um, it, I mean, it was for us as as kind of a baseline beekeeping business. It was when we, you know, turned into the meadery. It changed the game on how we met or how we could afford to manage the hives. All of a sudden, we could hire more people to work with them, and um, you know, it takes the burden of a of a a really small business off and kind of shares shares the expenditures around a bit and um, I think I think it's a great way for for beekeepers themselves to diversify and have a better chance of making a living off of a small amount of hives where you don't have to go into that commercial production. Uh, I mean, not to not to say that four hundred hives isn't a lot of work, but yeah. You know, you could run a meter off of 50, 60 hives, probably. Well, and if you were in a place that had a, a longer honey season, too, you yeah. know, I mean, that would make a difference. I mean, you're looking at two to three weeks where y'all are, and, you know, maybe in, you know, lower climes where the growing season was longer, it might be a different story. Yeah, I mean, we have, we have a really short season, but we have we produce a lot of honey. Like, on, on average, our yields are really high, but it's, you know, it's just – it's a it's a short season, but when the season's right, the season's right, and it produces a lot of honey as a result. Yeah, I mean, like last year we got forty five thousand pounds of honey in two weeks. Dang, jeez. Yeah. So. so your average your average per hive take is I'm not doing the math here. So it was about one hundred and forty five uh, pounds. Dang, that's some serious. That's some happy bees, guys. There's some beekeepers yeah. north of us up into, there's the Peace River country, which is way northern Alberta, and there were guys up there that were averaging over 200 pounds of hive, 300 pounds of hive. It's, uh, Holy cow. It's 200 pounds of honey out of one hive? In two weeks. We're talking to one beekeeper that came to the, the meter earlier this, 
fall. And uh, this was the first year that he broke a million pounds. And he was at a million and a quarter, and they weren't done extracting yet. God. I was running, I think he was 6,400 high. Dang. I can't even... Yeah, I'm just trying to like visualize that much honey. It's just like I know. holy crap. <laughs> I just, just you know, I mean, I've seen lots of honey, but it's like tanker truckloads of honey. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is a bit mind blowing. We, uh, I, I heard you guys talking about it earlier with. Um, uh, I've forgotten her name from UC Davis. Amina Harris. Oh yeah, Amina Harris. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a we have a place in Alberta that can do those same tests for us and we took some honey up there to get it tested and, and toured the warehouse that there's a there's a cooperative that operates in Alberta here that buys the majority of the honey produced in the province and then markets it. Most of it actually comes to the US. Um it does. But but you go into a warehouse and there's like literally a million drums of honey in there. There's Oh my house. god. Back five high and two hundred feet long and thirty feet deep and it's uh there's a it's shocking. It's shocking for us as honey producers to watch this. <laughs> that's well, yeah, if, that's stunning. <laughs> if the honey prices are so low up there in Canada, my God, who's making all the money between there and here? Because honey is like in the honey prices in Alberta, not in Canada. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, trust me, I'm still paying seven bucks a pound. This, this is at a this is at a wholesale a wholesale mark too, right? So it uh, mm. you know you gotta buy right buy a drum to get it at that price, but yeah, we heard, yeah, what I heard was a dollar forty five a pound. Oh my but, god! I no, but if JD, I go to if I go to my apiary, if I go to my apiary and buy from their bulk drum, the best price I can get is still three something a pound. Yeah, with with four hundred hives, I don't think we could produce honey for a dollar forty five a pound. Um, that's why we have to make meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm used to buying the honey from the stores and, and from, you know, the local. I mean, there's a couple of, of uh, like Bennett's Honey Farm up uh, not too far from me. Uh, and for, for an example, uh, you know, a 60-pound bucket of wildflower honey is going to sell for about 250 bucks uh here orange blossom about 255 uh, you know so i mean I, I i don't know what the relativity is here between here well and and uh you know i'm looking at the national honey board site and they're saying that the average wholesale case price per pound in January 2016 was $5.04. So that's a big difference between, you know, what y'all are um, doing wholesale and what they're doing yeah, here. Yeah, well, don't forget the exchange rate. Yeah. Our dollar yeah, kind of tank, too. Really significant. And, and that, that being said, in 2013, the same beekeepers were getting, you know, $2.30 a pound bulk. So it it's fluctuating in a big way. It was it was more so just because of what a what a huge year this last this last summer was. Yeah. Yeah, and those kind of years probably don't come around very often either, huh? So, one of you wish you were the only ones involved in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, following Timber Metery, um, 
into you're making session meads and braggers. Talk about the session meads. Uh, why session meads? Um, well, easier to sell. sell. <laughs> we we were really interested in making braggers, but there were kind of some license implications that were between us and that becoming true. So, um, in the meantime, uh, so I wasn't allowed to use malt unless we had a facility that could produce a, a half a million liters a year. Yeah. yeah. And then I could get a brewery license. And, Ouch. And wow. uh, make it. So, uh, anyways, we didn't have that. <laughs> so, so I figured, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to use hops for now. So I, I created a hop mead. I did quite a few recipes. Most of them are weird. <laughs> okay, we're into weird. One of them was weird good, so we went with that. And uh, that, weird, weird good is good. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's um, it. It was a it was a huge gateway for us. Like it, I'm making more of that than everything else combined. Um, at this time, so we've got. Oh, we've got it on tap and bars and stuff, which is huge exposure, um, and it just helps to sell everything else as a gold source. Yeah. It's fairly hilarious that the licensing restrictions that kept us out of making braggots generated our, our top-selling product, and it was done out of protest to the fact that we weren't allowed to do the system that we wanted to. <laughs> 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 out of out of adversity comes creativity. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Hey, uh, That's we're awesome. talking to Nathan and Colin Ryan, Fallen Timber Meadery out of Canada here tonight. You want to talk to them, give us a holler, 818-921-4680. Pick up the phone. Now's your chance to uh, talk to these guys uh, up there in Canada, toll-free, mind you. Uh, <laughs> it's on our, on our nickel. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's so. exactly right. So you're calling a U.S. number, but you get to talk to the Canadians, you know? Yeah. Not, <laughs> not that everybody doesn't have free long distance to Canada anyway, but hey, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm willing to make a big deal about it. But, uh, you know, uh, Session Meads, um, I have a hard time getting my my thoughts around Session Meads. That's, that, it's just a low-alcohol mead? Is that what I'm I've heard it explained uh, different ways down here. Um, we we carbonate ours like, um, but just what we found here is you know it's kind of a beer world right now, and yeah. people people want to drink pints. They don't want to. You know, yeah. Pints instead of glasses is kind of the the mode around here, and. And for us, it was it was an, a a way to get into draft lines, and um, I think I heard Michael Fairbrother talk about six hundred dollars twenty liter kegs, and that doesn't work in our neighborhood yet. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the but the session needs that come in, you know, they're they're definitely a little more pricey than than a keg of beer, but it's been a they've been accepted really well, and. Um, and they actually provide a crazy amount of consistency to, to what we do. Yeah. 
And you, uh, but you're also uh, in your bio. You also stated that you are the first metery to have uh, have it on draft in uh, Western Canada too, right? Yeah, to the best of our knowledge, for sure. I think there's a I think there's a metery in Ontario that does a couple session needs on draft, um, but I don't know of many others. Uh, I could see Trafalgar doing that, but they make what they make is actually a braggot, and I think they do it under the beer guidelines. Oh, okay. They do. Uh, they do too, don't they? Do like a ginger or something? I think so. Yeah. But yeah, it's been interesting seeing. There's a couple of places that I'm pretty sure are registered as meteries, and then there's a couple of places that I'm pretty sure are doing it under the beer brewery, and then there's a couple that I'm pretty sure have to be wineries because they're not using their own honey. Yeah, we uh, there was actually a brewery here in Alberta that did a few session needs before anybody was even licensed as a meadery here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. And they did they did reasonably well for it. With it for a while, they got away with a decade, right. for a decade getting a, <laughs> a low tax rate. Then <laughs> the metery license comes in and red flags go up, and then they tax us thirty fold. Yeah. Uh, oh wow. Crazy. Yeah. It's it, it's a bit sideways, but they're <laughs> talking to us now, and and yeah. you know we may we may get some some change out of it yet. And, oh, that's nice. Otherwise, yeah. you get a brewery license, and yeah, like right right now we're paying. Uh, well, our our products are marked up like our session meads, which go on the shelf next to like the single beer bottle. Except we're we're marked up at um, essentially forty times what a beer is. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Recently, our our tax just went up another twenty six cents, and the brewery tax for Alberta producers got uh, like cut in half. So they're at ten cents, which is um, great to be down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, we're we're trying to resolve this. Get <laughs> 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 this realized, but um, yeah, we'll see. Well, what uh, what's the strangest concoction you've ever tried to come up with? Oh, well, I, I think I've heard you guys talk about your worst needs ever, and I think oh, one yeah. of the worst <laughs> ones that we've ever had was a pumpkin need. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's my too. JD's first Go ahead. fail was the pumpkin need. <laughs> Let me oh, hear yeah. about yours. It was an epic fail on our end. <laughs> like, undeniably hot dog water. <laughs> hot dog water? Yeah, that's oh, pretty bad. Up. I don't know how you get hot dogs out of a pumpkin, but we made it happen. Oh, there my God. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so did you? So did you, like, barrel it up and sell it to the hot dog guys? You know, I mean. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody out there is interested in doing it, yeah, if anybody out there wants to do a pumpkin mead, call me or call Nathan and call. And we'll tell hey, you. Mine wasn't call, call, call Colin, he's the mead master. <laughs> Mine didn't turn out badly. They're not all terrible. Oh, I've known, no. I've known, I've known um, pumpkin meads to turn out really well, but I think it's probably one of the trickier meads to get right. 
In my case, the only thing that went funky was the fresh ginger. I should have made a, I should have steeped it into a tea first. We made a, we made a pumpkin braggot on the same day that turned out great, but the pumpkin meat itself was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Pushing the boundaries. um, So what's it? Talk about changes, generating change. Uh, What's, what's, what's your vision? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're just trying to claw our way into the market. We've, we've, we've had a really good reception here. We're, um, we fit in really well with the, the beer, the beer crowd, all the breweries. Like we're doing a collaboration with, with one of the local breweries here next month and, and that's kind of where we found our home. Um, but yeah, we, we do everything we can. <laughs> we, we found it when we, when we originally opened, we started with strictly still needs and, um, and we found that it was just, despite the fact that all of our needs were packaged and looked like a wine and some of them tasted very wine like, we found that it was typically the beer, the beer crowd that was coming our way and, and kind of embracing it a little bit more, and mm-hmm. uh, it was there was a little bit more of our background to begin with, anyway. So it, it seems to be the focus and what we're trying to trend towards. So was the tip over was the tip over factor the for the love of the mead thing, or was it more of a crap? Dad's got buttloads of honey. We need to do something with this, and we're tired of selling honey bears. Oh, it, it, we got pretty deep into it. As, <laughs> it was an obsession. <laughs> we, okay. It, it, got, it started with the beer side of things, but then, you know, we got into, you know, a lot of wines for quite a long time and um, we're really fascinated with wine and, and, you know, the thought of terroir and things like that. And the, the more we looked at it, the more, you know, Mead has its own signature. Honey has its own signature, even more so than grape growing regions in the world. I mean, we yeah. we have honey that we have that is lab tested that shows identical from barrel to barrel to barrel. And if you put your finger in it, it tastes totally different. And it can be a matter of you know a twenty mile distance change, and you get huh. a totally flavor. It's a uh, and so we, we got we got obsessed with the subtleties of it, and we got obsessed with trying to mess it up and then recover it. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the pumpkin made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then we had to learn how to do it on a big scale. So it was it was neat. It was uh, it's been a fun road. So what did you guys find where your best – did you just sort of fuddle your way through it or did you have go-to resources that you like? Because I know there's a lot of, you know, up-and-comers out there that are going, dang, you know, where do I turn to to figure out how to upsize batches is probably one of the bigger things. I mean, because something that works great in a five-gallon bucket is a whole other thing in a 250-gallon, you know, fermenter. Uh, well, we, we had a lot of variables when we went from – from homebrew to our to our big I, system, I still can't make meat in the carboy. 
<laughs> so you're like you're like screwed up forever making some home batches anymore, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had, when we when we when we started working on the meter, we had a whole bunch of variables that came into play that we didn't really think of. We end, we actually end up we use well water for our for all of our needs and um Yeah, that's what that, I would do. Did that work? Yeah, absolutely. It works really well except for the day that we the month or two that before we built the metery, we re- realized we didn't have enough water flow to get through our first few patches. <laughs> oh, no. We had no. a new well, and we ended up with a different water to start with. And I can just see the neighbors, those damn fallen timber guys are screwing up the aquifers. Taking all the water. <laughs> That's right. You got to start like a central Canadian water war thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it, you know, there was challenges on that front. Our one saving grace was that we actually knew how to handle honey, and we could handle barrels of it and move it around and and things like that because we had it on on the floor already. But it was still shocking the first day we poured a couple drums of honey into a fermenter. Oh, <laughs> You were able to get it to pour is the thing. I mean, I see the ones where the guys have got the honey that's gone and crystallized itself, which a lot of them do. And then then you've got the whole, okay, now we've got to get this from here up there. Uh, <laughs> you know? How many? Uh, what do you do then? Stabilize, sta- sterilize shovel? Uh, no, we, we have a method of pumping it now. We can uh, we re-liquify our, our honey because um, it all sets up. Our, our, our colder honey sets up pretty, pretty hard, I guess. And, but we can reliquify it. We have a little kind of hot box that we've built that holds the honey at about mm-hmm. 35 degrees Celsius, 40 degrees oh, Celsius. Okay. And if you hold it there for a couple of days, three or four days, it'll reliquify. And, um, and then we've got a, a big impeller pump that's hefty enough to siphon it out of a drum. Cool. Yeah. So actually I'll, I'll, you know, put some water in the tank and then I'll have uh, put a T on the suction side of the pump and I'll have a hose going into the barrel of honey and a hose pulling water from the tank and then I'll have valves on each side so I can restrict the water from the tank and just get that honey kind of trickling out of the barrel and then I'll send it so the impeller kind of mixes it in with the water and I'll send it down a long hose and back into the tank and that dissolves it the laziest method I could think of. That's what I That's awesome. I'm taking yeah. notes. How yeah. Many, how many it's gallons, uh, how, how big are the tanks? Uh, we have, uh, our first, the first tanks that we started with were 1900 liters or 500 gallon tanks. And we've, uh, we're up to, we've got 2000 gallon tanks now that we're working with as well. So, wow. and brights and, Storage tanks. I, I have I have three five gallon tanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! We I'm typically already, have those going too. <laughs> and I'm already ten gallons into my two hundred gallon limit for the year, according to. Yeah. <laughs> I used to hit that. I used to hit that wall just about every year. Two hundred gallons by yourself. Yeah, yeah, it, it adds up when you've got three, four batches going at a time, you know. Yeah, we we were we were crossing borders when we first started. Too. Yeah, we were almost into illegal territory. <laughs> 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 Keyword here is almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I. Um, it's funny, you know how it all piles up. I've I've got probably thirty gallons here at the house in various stages, but uh, you know that doesn't include the probably fifty gallons that I have sold as lighter fluid to the neighbors already. So, uh, <laughs> you know. But uh, wow, guys, uh, fun having you guys on the show. Got to do this again. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and Vicky, I, I swear, all right, we're going to get a truck. We're going to go up <laughs> to Alberta, and we're coming back with a truckload of honey. Can you yeah. stop by my place on the way home? Yeah. It's only, it's only uh, what, 2,500 miles to your place from there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. no big deal. Eh? No big deal. You can do that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just thinking, can you imagine the border guards when we come back across in Seattle, you know, and they'd be like, the heck you got there? Honey? Uh-huh. <laughs> I can point you to the quietest border car. Oh, there you go, yeah. Those little hidden ones where the guys are asleep because they really don't care. Yeah. I, uh, fun story, guys. Uh, I mean, building the house, uh, occupying your parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> What it's all done with. Oh, yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. Uh, the last chapter in a joy of home brewing. I mean, who would have thought, you know? <laughs> I hope you have it. Chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope you have it framed and hanging in your little tasting room. <laughs> that's what started it all, huh? Yeah. What's here? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us here tonight, guys. Been a lot. Oh, of yeah, fun. totally. And, yeah, uh, you. you know, looking forward to uh, to having you on the show again. And, uh, uh, Vicki, here's another one. I'd love to keep track of these guys. And, I know. Uh, <laughs> J.D., in case you guys don't know, J.D. is, like, huge into uh, the green movement, sustainability, and uh, the whole, you know, the fact that mead is basically a self-renewing resource uh, that yeah. doesn't take from the land the way that uh, – other, we won't mention them here, uh, alcoholic beverage products can. So, um, cause I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go there cause I have to work with all those people. So yeah, we're not going to go there, but you know, that honey, honey is so utterly renewable and doesn't touch the, you know, the long-term viability of the land. And in fact, without it, you know, without the bees, we'd all be kind of screwed. <laughs> so that's the beautiful thing about me is it. It's truly a flavor of the environment. You don't have to change anything. Put the bees no. out. They'll find something to work on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, I think that's one reason because I had considered all of the home brewable things. You know, the beer, but you know, I mean, it's just you know, every, everybody's already got a craft beer of one kind or another on the shelf, so I didn't need to add to the confusion. Wine, um, you know, I mean, it's all about the grape, uh, and it's either going to be a Cabernet or Merlot or this or that, uh, depending on the grape. But honey, on the other hand, you never know what you're going to get, and it's all about the honey. And, uh, you know, one wildflower tastes much different than the next wildflower. And, uh, you know, even orange blossom from, you know, California to Florida, you know, it's all different. Uh, I just got my hands on some uh, my hands on some sourwood honey from uh, uh, a, a good friend of the show, Chris Mississippi Chris. We call him, 
uh, we swapped some wildflower for some sourwood, so I'm anxious to try that. So, uh, and the whole, you know, the whole sustainability aspect about it. I mean, this this is what I need to do. Not 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 beer, not wine, but mead. And I'm I'm really glad I did. Yeah, we get a little jealous seeing all the different types of honey that you guys have to work with down there. <laughs> gotta, and fruit. And fruit, I guess. And fruit. <laughs> you know, like spruce tips and <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got honey, spruce, and grain. <laughs> yeah, but you got a lot of it, which is nice. Yeah. You know, yeah. so there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. And, I mean, the meads I've seen coming out of Canada are nothing short of stunning. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been working with the Mazer Cup, uh, you know, originally as part of the board, now as an advisor at an advisory capacity for eight years, and then for another six years before that with the International Mead Festival. And without almost without exception, the meads that I've seen come out of Canada have always been excellent. They've just been great, you know. And some of them are like beyond pretty much everything you know i mean so there's a lot of really good stuff coming out of canada yeah there was a lot of metals last year from canadian meteries oh yeah yeah there really is uh have you guys uh you said you guys had talked to um to the folks over at intermeal i assume you've had a conversation with andre yeah um i yeah i believe that's we talked to it was that's amazing cup down yeah yeah that would have been andre then yeah he's the one who comes to represent them yeah he's he's probably He's probably the best mead maker in North America. I mean, I hate to say that because there's a lot of really stunning mead makers out there, but his meads are just, he's a perfectionist. You know, I mean, he is just like beyond perfectionism, and the meads he makes are so delicate and so well-balanced and everything. He just does some amazing work. And and that shows through in the medals they win internationally, you know. That's kind of one of the things, like the the trade things up here, is that our our honeys tend to be very light and mild, and there's really nothing to hide behind. There's no. no bold flavors. There's there's nothing. It has to be clean and it has to be well made, or it yeah, not going to well, be well. Yeah, and it also gives you the freedom to to get creative because the honeys aren't like the front stage thing like yeah. some of the honeys some of the honeys down here are so bold like you know fireweed and um and um tupelo and that they're bold enough that you really can't put them in the back you can't you know you can't let them be the foundation they really need to be the star so you know there's there's a lot of lot to be said for that too a really solid mild honey can you can do so much with it yeah yeah all right, guys. Thanks for joining us tonight, and uh, look forward to following Fallen Timber Meadery in the future. And uh, best of luck to both of you. Yeah, Hello. totally. Grabbing it. Thanks. Thank for you very much for coming. All right, we're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, more. Located in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Fallen Timber Meadery is named after this region of Alberta, Canada. The area is a hidden treasure characterized by the merger of ranch lands and untracked forests and home to stunning mountain views and Canadian wildlife. It is here where the Ryan family produces pure water-white clover honey and mead as pristine as the namesake Fallen Timber Creek. Inspired by the sublime landscape and the honey it awards, the Fallen Timber Meadery continues to pursue excellence in all of their meads. From classic traditional meads to innovative session meads and braggots, Fallen Timber Meadery is emerging from the wild with great Canadian mead. Visit us online at www.fallentimbermeadery.ca. 
Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K dot com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today, located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead, and I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery Meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery Meads. And we are back again here. Um, gosh, AJ, uh, how far are you from Alberta? The long way. Really yeah. long drive. JD, it's like Michigan to California, okay? It's like oh, a crap. long damn way. <laughs> Canada is oh. huge, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're above, I'm above New York, if that gives you an idea. And Alberta yeah. is like just about to the Rockies. Yeah, and these guys are near Calgary, which is up against the Rockies, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah. See, it's so huge, AJ doesn't still, even know where it is. You know? yeah. um, God, but I can't get over the fact 45,000 pounds of honey. In two weeks. In two weeks. Yeah, that's that, what that gets me. It's like 45,000 yeah, 45, pounds of honey doesn't sound huge until you say in two weeks. You know? yeah. and, it's like, and it's like... Jaw floor, you know, mic drop. <laughs> My God, what I what I couldn't do with forty. I mean, just give me a hundred and forty pounds of it. I mean, my I God. know, right? You know? Yeah, one barrel, and I could do things. Oh man, fifty-five uh, gallon drum, I'd be set for a decade. Yep. You know, at least. No. Well, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm glad to hear. I'm glad we kind of touched on the old sustainability thing. That that is going to be an important topic. 
here in a couple of shows uh, when we, uh, you know, get our plans together for, for that show we're going to do here at the end of the Yeah, month. I've got it on my list of uh, stuff. I'm sorry, I needed to get the email out to our potential panel members, and I got sidetracked with getting ready for this show because it's been just like one damn thing after another getting ready for mm-hmm. it. So I found out yesterday, funny story. So yesterday I'm like working on my flyers and working on my new business cards and so forth and so on, and I get another email from the show coordinators and it says says uh looking forward to seeing you at this was on monday night looking forward to seeing you at the meet and greet tomorrow night and i'm going wait a minute i'm not going until next week there's they've got two shows they've got one in Asheville, which is next week and they've got one in missouri which is this week i had signed up for a booth at the one in missouri oops yeah and so i'm like on the phone going help oh my god i can't believe i did this you know so they got me all fixed up and it's all good and i'm <laughs> I'm two booths down from White Labs, which is totally awesome. Oh, and um, wow. yeah, yeah, I'm I'm just tickled to death. And um, so I will be at the Craft Beverage Unlimited East in Asheville next week from the 10th to the 12th, and uh, that's going to be. I'm looking forward to it. The fun part's going to be: can I get out of the booth to go visit the other booths? Because <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I've got to find somebody to come help me. <laughs> this is uh, this is an event that's open to the public. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a craft beverage uh, trade expo basically and show. So they've got like there's a bunch of classes on making wine, beer, and stuff like mm. that. And then they also have a um, like a, um, a an expo with uh, vendors. So there's bottle manufacturers and there's bottling wine people and there's yeast people and and it's for all craft uh, trade uh, craft beverage. So it's beer, wine, distilleries, uh, breweries, and cideries. I've been to uh, there's out here in California. There's beer fest up and down the the coast. Oh yeah, been to a couple of them out here, and it's kind of funny because the big guys show up and they go home with just about as much beer as they came with. But yeah. the, the craft beer guys, mm. I mean, you better get in line and get your beer quick because there's a good chance you may not get any at all. Well, the thing is, you can get the big guy's stuff at the store. You can't yeah. necessarily get the craft beverage stuff at the store. Yeah. So, of course, that's going to be the first thing to go. Yeah, yeah they've got the, the Great American Beer Festival has an has a uh, iteration that happens out here. And um, John and I, John and I manned the table for uh, Bee Nectar one year. It was a hoot. And I mean, literally the entire day was was waving arms with glasses at the end of it going, I want some of that. You know, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious, you know, because like, we couldn't pour fast enough. And I wanted to pull it back and go, I'm sorry, you don't appreciate this enough. You need to be more respectful of me. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure out what the attraction is to beer brewers uh, with mead, whether they're just bored with doing craft beer and looking for something different. Uh, no, I think it's just it's a creativity and expansion thing because there's a lot of the meaderies are doing braggots and beers and ciders, and a few of them are getting into distilling. I know of three or four off the top of my head that are opening distilling, and it's all about they're they're so creative that their creativity kind of breaks into different areas. And, and I mean, some of it, some of it is also economic. You know, it broadens your market gives you entrance into areas that you don't have entrance in if you're strictly one thing or the other thing and i mean it just all the way around it's a you know it's just a new thing to do i mean keep in mind i mean you heard what the guy said when i asked him you know was this a we've got all this honey let's make money with it or was this an obsession and they're like immediately was it's an obsession 
Yeah. Hmm. Well, but and they started out, you know, doing beer. But th- this is what I'm finding on my little educational journey about mead is, uh, you know, I, I would have thought that uh, people who make mead would have come out of the wine making uh, genre, I guess. No. Uh. Uh-uh. But they don't. Uh, well, some of them do, but yeah, but the majority yeah, do, are beer but, are beer geeks. We get way more beer geeks than we get than we get that, wine folks. Yeah, you know? I, I visit another forum on occasion, uh, homebrewtalk.com, oh, yeah. uh, which is another, it, it's another great resource. And there's a lot of got meters that, uh, that post over there, but not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dual citizenship. Yeah, they have yeah. dual citizenship. Dual, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, homebrew talk is a great, is a great site. They've got a lot of really good information there. And, um, you know, I've heard, I, you know, I, I know a lot of people that, that spend time in both forums and say that, yeah. you know, it's just, it's like going to the different groups on Facebook. You get what you get where you get it. Exactly. And it's all about, you know, as long as the information's out there, who cares where it's coming from, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and the homebrew talk uh, is predominantly the beer guys. Uh, and that's and, – and a lot of it – and this is where I'm learning, you know, like I say, this whole thing is an educational journey for me uh, because I'm also interested in, in how it all got started. And – you know, most of the, a lot of the people who are doing mead came from the beer making or beer brewing community. Mm-hmm. I, I see that over at Home Brew Talk because, yeah. you know, guys are constantly posting over there about, you know, I got bored with making beer, so I started making mead. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'd say beer, uh, craft beer has a lot of variations, but to a certain extent, and I know there's beer geeks that'll leap on me later about this. I'll probably hear about it at the Mazer Cup. Um, to a certain extent, the the beer genre has its own walls. You know, like like wine has its own walls. There's X number of varieties of grapes and ways that you can mix this stuff together. But even though there's a lot of variations, it's still a finite number. Near as I can tell, honey and mead is an infinite possibility. Oh, yeah. And and I think that's part of the attraction is that infinite possibility and the fact that Unlike beer and wine, which have, quote unquote, traditions and rules that go back hundreds or in the case of beer, several hundreds of years because there was people who established these things. You know, so that's that 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 creates pathways that people tend to stay within. Whereas with mead, it's basically even though it's been around for thousands of years, it's always been kind of a free for all. Everybody just makes it the way they want. Yeah. You know, I think so. maybe something else having to do with that might be that, um, like beer brewers, every batch is different. You're using different ingredients. You're using, um, you know, you're using this hops or that malt, and it's not all the same. Whereas when you're making wine, typically as a grape, you know, you're making grape wine and you're making grape wine and you're making grape wine yeah and you know the the wines the the books on making grape wine don't include a section on mead whereas you know papazian certainly did yeah which reminds me i've got to call charlie and see if i can lure him onto the show and he's he's, he just retired so i'm hoping that he's maybe got some time (laughs) i know right i want to be awesome it's like I think a fun thing to do. Uh, I've been. You know, I have to, I've been putting it off because I'm kind of scared to call him and talk to him. <laughs> I think a fun thing to do. Uh, you know, take for example the wildflower. You know, it would be fun to go across the country and pick up 
wildflower honey from from various regions across the country and bring them back and you know treat them to the same yeast and do an experiment yeah and, yeah. and see what you come up with I, I think that would be such an interesting and it'd be a fun trip too uh, <laughs> I, I see what you did there <laughs> well i think uh I'm, yeah. I'm surprised that we haven't heard from chris yet chris well, chris yeah. <laughs> yeah it's time chris yeah too, come David. on chris if you're not if you're not elbow deep in somebody's chest cavity why don't you come on the come on the show yeah, but uh, you know, I mean, I, I, mean I, I am very interested in knowing what the uh, you know what the uh, the honey tastes like from fallen timber. Um, you know, I, I had my I just had an experience with the sourwood. Obviously, we can't get sourwood, so that was a whole new adventure for me. Uh, a very unique taste. Uh, I'm looking forward to making you know a mead with it. Uh, and the same thing with the wild. I mean, the, and the wildflower. I mean, orange is orange, and I know there's a difference between California and Florida, but that's about it. I mean, you get two basic regions, you know, of oranges, and and that's it. But wildflower, my God, all across the country. It's all uh, going to depend on what's growing there and how the season is and what time of year they they. Well, extract. I say when they call it wildflower honey, it's not necessarily even wildflowers. It's whatever it's whatever honey really wildflower just sounds cooler but it's wild you know it's it's whatever honey it's miscellaneous flowers you're right yeah it's it's generic honey that the bees get whatever they get wherever they get it and it could be anything so Yeah. yeah that's that's why even going from region to region I mean you could let's say you did uh you know a trip all the way around that you did like the grand tour twice right and you hit every state and you got a gallon of wildflower honey in every state and then you kept going when you got back to California and did it again you know like a month later yeah. you get different honeys in right. those same places mm-hmm. yeah right uh you know, and it'd be a fun trip to boot. You know? Yeah, yeah. And your, so, I know your wife. Your wife is like, yeah, no, I don't think so, JD. So, <laughs> so the gotmead.com tour starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? I wonder how big a, a tour caravan. Bus. You know, we get, if we timed it right, we get a huge caravan and end up at like I don't know Burning Man or something. You know? oh, Jesus. I'm going to put Chris from Mississippi in charge of that one. Chris, there we go. You need to set up a GoFundMe account. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let's get the gotmead.com no, tour. No, the, the Gotmead Magic Mystery Tour. And <laughs> the Gotmead Magic Bus. Yeah, we need a magic bus and we'll paint it all rainbow colors. No acid, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's not that it's not that decade anymore. What was and, the name uh, of that song? The Magical Mystery Tour? It was, is that the song? Magic There's one called Magic Bus, too. There's, yeah, the, the Magic Bus was the Who, yeah. I actually had the Magic Bus album. So, yeah, the Magic uh, Bus it would be good. But I'm thinking in terms of, like, Ken Kesey and the um, Technicolor. The, oh, sure. shoot, what was it called? The Technicolor. It was all about his drug trip, and they painted a bus rainbow colors and went around the country. It went bumming around <laughs> the country in it. And I can't remember that. I, it, somebody, somebody will, I'm sure, call in or tweet and tell me the name of the book, but it was called the Technicolor something, 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 and it was one of my favorite books when I was in college. Because um, <laughs> I was all about that Ken Kesey and self-discovery and take acid to become, you know, God and all that kind of thing. So. <laughs> I only know Technicolor Dreamcoat. So yeah, we're yeah. About, no. We're talking about making this song uh, the, the Magic uh, Bus. It's playing right now. 
Nice. Is it? Oh, yep. seriously? You're playing the Who Magic Bus? We're going to get in trouble. I'm playing the Who Magic Bus right now. <laughs> You're going to get us in trouble. Well, and, we'll just uh, send them the a FC, bottle of mead. Yeah, yeah, the FC doesn't live here. <laughs> um, we And Mississippi Chris is on the line. Uh, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Hello. Hey. How you doing? We're uh, we're talking about uh, making you the chairman of the <laughs> GotMe.com Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mead Tour. Magical Mead <laughs> Tour, where we're going to go around the country, collect up uh, gallons of wildflower honey from various places, uh, yeah. and make mead out of it. <laughs> okay. Well, you can, you can make a donation to that. <laughs> well, I figure we put a GoFundMe or one of those Kickstarter or Kick Me Starter or Kick Me account. It's, it's, it's called Kick. It's called Kickstarter. You had it right the first time. Yeah, yeah we can do that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Better yet, just get on the phone and start making some phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the point is, we want to get people to contribute. We want a nice yeah. order, not a rundown piece of crap. Well, we need a, okay. we need a school I want a bus. New motor home. No, we well, we need a, we need a, basically a school bus type motorhome, one of those ginormous ones that set up that set up like it is for bands, you know. So there's bunk beds like all along the walls, like they show them on those RV shows. Well, I've already I've already got that. I've got a Prevos. Oh, you got a Prevos? Oh, I hate you! Oh my god! Yeah, I got a twelve bunk twelve bunk Prevost with a master bedroom in the back. Dang, dude! But just for you and the band, or what? It used to be. And then we can Dude. pull a trailer with a built-in metery all all set up in it, so stainless steel. We can uh, we can acquire a trailer. Uh, tra- yeah, trailers are easy to come by, but he's already got the magic bus. So oh, yeah, can, can we paint we the rainbow? To- can we paint the rainbow colors? Please, please, please. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was say, considering no. what a prefo no. goes for, yeah. The paint job on that bus costs as much as the bus, almost. I know, so. right? Yeah. yeah, I know. We watch those We watch those uh, Ultimate RV shows, and it's like, so we have here a prevo base price of $500,000. Paint job only cost one hundred and twenty grand on this, so we got off kind of easy, and it's like, really? <laughs> Oh, it, it would be perfect to go around and collect honey in. We've got a we've got a nice little uh, uh, belly bay under. We can uh, we could probably get all oh, four or five drums under there. I imagine. There you oh go. my! What's the carrying? What's the what's the towing weight of uh, stuff it can pull? What's the what's the full weight? I don't know. I'd have to check. Yeah, because there's dry weight this, and there's I've, loaded weight, and that's what we need to know the difference of. Because if we're carrying, you know, if we're carrying, you know, a thousand pounds of people, and then honey, we need to take that. Oh, uh, we're then. we're not going to overload it. I can assure you that we'll stop when the tires bulge out. So, oh dear, it'll 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 carry anything we can put in it. <laughs> Guess we better shine up our passports because there's no way we're getting away without coming to Canada. Um, <laughs> yeah. Chris, were you listening to the show? I had you on in the ER. Uh, I'm sitting out back of the hospital. I'm sitting on the landing pad right now. <laughs> I had oh, to get away nice. for a minute. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. How, what did you so think? So, Chris about was elbow uh, deep in someone today. Yeah, yeah we were. 
we were doing a, a, a shout out for you, like Chris, if you're elbow deep in somebody's chest cavity, pull your arms out, get on the show. Yeah, I heard you. On the, you were in the ER. Oh my god, we were in the, the no way. We were on in the, the speaker, speaker in the ER. Really? Oh my god. Yeah. You're famous. What oh are your nurses thinking that? Yeah, I know, right? I'm so glad I'm not cussing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you were in you were in my quarters anyway. I, oh. I was trying to listen and work at the same time, but uh, oh I got caught up. I got about thirty more minutes. So I get to go home. So oh, nice. Uh, yeah, um, I, I heard the guys talking about the uh, abundance of honey they've got up there, and. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know they they may uh, envy us for the different types and and the fruit and things like that, but uh, how can you not envy someone who's got access to forty five thousand pounds of honey? Really? Uh, yeah. I could take forty five thousand pounds of bad honey and do something with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think forty six twelve. That's going to be uh, Texas Dave joining us here tonight. Welcome, Good Dave. Good evening. Good evening. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dave. <laughs> we got our regulars, and we know your and we know your numbers. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't for uh, Dave, I'm sure we could probably get away with. But uh, Chris, on the other hand, I mean, it'd be our luck that he's you know knee deep in somebody's chest. You know, if we just decide to call him right off the bat <laughs> at the start of the show. Well, Dave's out birthing cans, probably. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. Uh, I just do small animals. Small. Oh yeah, well. So those, t- so you do the toy cows then? Those little much. bitty baby cows. The toy cows. Have you seen those? Oh my god, the god. cows are the size of like golden retrievers, and they're full grown cows, and it's like oh, they're god. miniature cows. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> portable steak. Oh my god. <laughs> oh god. All this, all this talk about the bees, though, it's got me wanting to. To get some beehives, and I, I might as well because we're slowly turning into a farm here. We've got our uh, our, our laying hens, and uh, so we might as well put some beehives out. Oh, there's nothing better than fresh eggs in the morning, isn't there? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and I got my my three favorite ones uh, is Han Solo, and uh, then I've got Princess Leia. <laughs> and I've got, uh, and, and then I've got, and then I've got Yoko Ono. Oh, funny! And uh, I got to get me a rooster. When I get my rooster, I'm going to name him uh, Cluck Norris. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bun oh, Helsing God. fits right in with them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Little turkeys. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See now we're we're, we're kind of rooster and that rooster uh, almost put my eye out once. Oh my gosh! Did he immediately end up in the cook pot? No, but uh, I took a broom to him for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Bad rooster, no cookie. Face <laughs> him around a bit, but uh, he's pretty fast. Yeah. Well. Uh... You know, I'm rather envious of uh, of Colin and Nathan up there in Canada. My God, I mean, uh, yeah. you know, one of the things, like Vicky says, uh, I like to talk about is the sustainability of this uh, of mead and and hunting the whole nine yards. And I I really think that it's kind of an important factor in in making mead, and especially when it comes to you know if you want to start a meadery. I think being able to contribute back somehow 
uh, you know, even if it's a matter of just keeping a small number of highs, maybe not as many that it takes to support your metery, but at least some contributing factor. I mean, how do you? What do you guys think about that, Dave? What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I agree. Uh, I think it'd be cool to have some highs, even with metery. And me and a buddy of mine that had a 500 acre farm, we were going to get a couple of highs this year, but we decided to postpone it the year because uh, we got too many other things, too many other irons in the fire, and money going elsewhere. Yeah. But, um, he's got a good land that has a. You know, flowers all season long, but really good berry flowers in the spring with the Texas dewberries, the elderberries, mm. a bunch of other wild berries. Uh, I'm really, uh, really excited to get some highs on this property, but we're going to wait a year. But he's talking about getting at least 50 blueberry plants this year and planting them, and I may go in on them with that and get some more going. And yeah. they have an annual blueberry festival, and like to do a part-time commercial operation and uh, get something together and probably sell at that festival. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? That was- you know, I wish we could get something together uh, with some, some beekeepers in other parts of the country uh, similar to what some of the cattle uh, people do around here. Um, people who have um, dairy cows, uh, it's, it's illegal to sell raw milk here in the state. So what Most you do is, and so what you can do is you can buy a share in a herd. Right. And when you buy the share in the herd, you, you're entitled to so much milk. Uh, because you own, you know, you're not buying the milk, you own the cattle. Right. So yeah. that'd be nice if we could do something like that with the bees. If you somebody had a lot of bees, you could just uh, buy a share in it, and you're entitled to so much honey. Yeah, that's Be you know one thing that uh, you know future shows uh, not going to happen this session, but maybe the next session uh, we've been talking about having some beekeepers on the show. Yeah, and it'd be an interesting question uh, to put to them. I mean, I have no idea what it costs to to keep a hive. I'm gonna find out here uh, in the next month or so when I when I hook up with uh, my 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 wildflower guy. I need a recording of like a heavenly chorus to play every time <laughs> yes. he says that. Oh. But I, I <laughs> need. Uh, I, I want to know. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to know what it, what does it cost uh, to keep bees, and uh, it'd be interesting to find out. But Chris, I, I mean, that's a good idea. I'm very well aware of the raw milk thing. That, that's a subject that I have been following for years and years and years. Uh, you know, I, I could talk for the next four days on on the raw milk uh, debate, but uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, I don't see any reason why we can't, uh, you know, uh, get with a beekeeper and and uh, offer to buy shares. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, for me, it would just be you know being involved somehow. Uh, and I, I just have a I have a want to learn more. I want to know more about the bees, the honey, uh, you know, man, I want to be able to make better mead because of it. So, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, that's a hell of a good idea. Yeah. And for somebody like me, that's, uh, you know, I got my plate full with everything else going. And as much as I would love to keep these, it's just not something that I really got extra time to do. 
And uh, those who can, and that's great. But for me, it would be perfect to be able to buy a share and and you know, hey, send me a send me a gallon or two whenever you collect, and I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, or send me a five gallon bucket a year or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Interesting. Personally, I'm not opposed to the whole idea of of um, having to use your own honey in in um, your mead if you're going commercial. I don't have a problem with that at all. But the problem I have is that they stipulate you cannot start small. So I would have to make a very big investment uh, in getting bees and a honey operation before I can even consider getting a license to have a meadery. And that's the part I object to. I don't object to doing it myself, but I do object to not being able to start small and work my way up. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. don't know, um, I, you know, maybe Vicky can help answer this question if, if she knows. But, I mean, I, I don't know what the legislative uh, requirements are either uh, here in the United States. Uh, you know, I mean, would it be, uh, I don't know, Vicki, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, should I think it's a, you know, I mean, doing, uh, basically it would be doing, uh, it, w- it would be a little bit like doing a farm share, you know, where you pay a monthly fee and they deliver you a box of goodies. So, I mean, oh, you yeah. can do that at farms where, you know, you get, uh, what the hell do they call it? I belong but, CSAs. Yes, yeah, thank you. CSA is the word was like escaped me for the minute. So if you had like a honey CSA or if you just got a honey provider that became part of a multi-farm CSA, then yeah, you could get honey in your monthly box or you could upgrade to get more well, honey but- or something like that. So I would think that the, 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 you know, that the laws are already in place for that. It's just a matter of them doing it. Yeah. But I mean, when you know, when you talk about you know opening up a meadery, and I, you know, I, I mean, I, I have to agree with AJ. I, you know, I mean, just um, it's almost cost prohibitive. I mean, right out of the box, you're going to have to sell hundreds and, uh, or thousands of gallons of AJ's world leaders of of mead. <laughs> uh, you know, the guys around them. here that start the guys around here that start small are called moonshiners. There you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There's still plenty rumor, of that going on. Has it. That's why my family had to leave that region and move to Texas. <laughs> 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 they came from the Mississippi Tennessee border originally. North Carolina got around that just by legal. Uh, it's like fine, you all going to keep doing it, but then we're going to tax it. Thank you so much. You know. We're going to have to check our genealogy, David, because uh, you and I are both webs, and my people come from all over the place too. So. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, this whole sustainability thing, I think it's a good idea for meteries to be involved in the beekeeping business. I mean, if not to, uh, to have enough honey to support their meadery, but enough to contribute back and help the bee population maintain itself, uh, I think is, is probably the most important part of that. So, and, and this whole idea of, of buying shares, uh, it supports all that, you know. Yeah. It it helps the it helps the beekeepers. Uh, it might even help someone like AJ who's looking to start small but mm-hmm. can't because of regulations. Uh, you know, there's there's a way that you can increase the number of hives that you keep and make it affordable because you're selling shares. And you're doing yourself a service, the bees, and the other meat makers. So, 
you know, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what? What is this all about? It's all about everybody working together and uh, helping each other out. At the end of the day, uh, that's going to be worth more to us as human beings than any business that we ever start. So, yeah, well, yeah, and we're going to talk about this uh, at length, or at least a little bit more in depth, on a future show that that uh, Vicky and I have been working on here uh, for the last week or so. Uh, interesting concept, and uh, I'm going to put that down in my notes. Uh, I think that's an outstanding idea. But uh, I got to get round three in here for our uh, set of commercials. So we're going to step away. When we come back, hey, we're going to play the yeast game. Uh, the yeast game. Name that yeast. You two might want to stick around. We'll be right back. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. If you're a mead maker, a book you need to have on the shelf is Mad About Mead by Pamela Spence. Look for it, grab it, if you can. It's been out of print for a while. But if you can find it, add it to your library. And while you're at it, check out pamspence.com. Pam is an active storyteller, author, community minister, and is the editor for local newspapers in Columbus, Ohio. You can find her most recent book, Glad Rags, Red Panties, Cowgirl Boots, and A Sweet Dress to Die For at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Please visit pamspence.com for more. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery meads. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road, near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Located in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, Fallen Timber Meadery is named after this region of Alberta, Canada. The area is a hidden treasure characterized by the merger of ranch lands and untracked forests and home to stunning mountain views and Canadian wildlife. It is here where the Ryan family produces pure water-white clover honey and mead as pristine as the namesake Fallen Timber Creek. Inspired by the sublime landscape and the honey it awards, the Fallen Timber Meadery continues to pursue excellence in all of their meads. From classic traditional meads to innovative session meads and braggots, 
Fallen Timber Meadery is emerging from the wild with great Canadian meat. Visit us online at www.fallentimbermeadery.ca. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I don't know, Chris. I don't know how much of the Utopia Number 9 is going to make it to the stores. It's a short run, limited release. And um, he said that they're putting it out to the distributors, but I have no idea how much it's going to filter down to the store level and, if so, which stores. So um, you might check with them to see if they carry uh, Moonlight, and if not, then like I say, if you've got somebody that loves you very much that lives across the state line, <laughs> uh, they they do uh, they do carry Moonlight. But uh, uh, matter of fact, I just placed an order not too long ago, and uh, I'm expecting it tomorrow. Actually, uh, oh okay. So hmm. next, as you, uh, uh, as you guessed, we are back live here on God Me Live. Vicky and Chris talking about negotiate me. No, no, no. We're talking about getting your hands on a bottle of the limited release, five-year-old aged. Oh my God, it's good. Uh, <laughs> Utopia number nine from Moonlight Meadery. So yeah, Dave, you can probably get it. I think they shipped to. I think they shipped to Texas. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's 120, 125 bucks a bottle for a 375. I mean, when I talked to Michael about it, he's he's kind of so funny because he's like, "Well, it's a bit pricey at 125 for 375," and I'm going, "Yeah, but damn, it was good." <laughs> All right, I, I don't, you know, I, just, uh, I would normally pay that much, but this was good. Yeah, well, why not? I mean, I, hell, I just uh, dropped three twenty-five on the Captain Ball revolver tonight. Well, there you go. Yeah, as I say, I dropped, <laughs> I dropped like four hundred bucks on my black powder rifles. So yeah, I really can't say anything. So, but yeah, I, I'm negotiating with him to get two my hands on two bottles of this. One of which we're going to drink on our thirtieth winning anniversary this August, along with the bottle of um, Heart of Darkness that I bought two years ago. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> uh, I've got a, I've got a bottle of the statement on the way. And oh, cool. That's gonna, we're gonna. That's a surprise for uh, Valentine's Day. So nice. Yeah, for, you or for her. For you or for, for her? both? For both? <laughs> both? Yes. <laughs> Haven't you heard him? His wife is over there begging him for sips of the really good stuff. You know, honey, can I have a little olive? No, man, go when, uh, <laughs> when when Mama's happy, everybody's happy. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. This is, uh, we're going to play a little bit of name that yeast. Now, these are going to be yeast that every one of you has probably used at one time or another, with the exception of maybe one of these. Okay. And, 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 and yet none of us have ever read the description. So, yeast, well, ever. you should. <laughs> uh, you to, don't let Pete hear you say that. No, uh, I need to read the description when I can pick up the phone and go, Pete, I'm making yeah. blah, blah, what should I use? And Pete says, yeah. use a D47, and I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> All right, this is, a, uh, this is selected in Narbonne, France, by the National Research Institute of Argonomy for its aroma and production of red and white Vins Novu. Gives character fruity aroma, which reinforces the grape varietal profile, a popular strain for the production of fresh, fruity red wines. That should have given it away right there. What is it? I'm going to say RC212. Nope. Nope. Close, but no cigar. 71B. 71B. There you go. Dang, I should have known that. That's my yeast. Yep, that's your yeast. (laughs) 
this yeast was selected by the Epernay region. Uh, it was selected in the Epernay region and is approved by the CIVC in Epernay. Has strong fermentation kinetics over a wide temperature range and relatively low nitrogen demands. Is famous for its ability to ferment under stressful conditions of low pH, high total SO2, and low temperatures, low foaming. It's considered a clean fermenter that respects varietal character and avoids harsh sensory contributions of other one-dimensional, one-dimensional workhorse yeast. This is AJ's yeast. Nope. I know what it is. What is it? The description to me sounds like D47. Nope. Nope, it's 1116. Nope. 1116? Nope, yeah. you're both wrong. DV10. Well, I've never used that Bullshit. one, so I wouldn't know. That's yeah. DV10. Now, tell me what the alcohol, uh, what's the ABV of it? What's the alcohol level? Well, if it's one that's, it's, it'll handle a strong ferment, like what, 1819? Yeah. 17%. <laughs> this one. Now, isn't, isn't K1V1116 an Epernay strain? We'll get to that here in a little bit. This next one is the original and is good for barrel fermentations. It ferments well at low temperatures and flocculates well with very compact leaves. Under low nutrient conditions, this yeast produces a lot of SO2, up to 30 parts per million, and as a result can inhibit malolactic fermentation. EC1118. Atta girl. (laughs) Now, what's uh, what's the ABV? 16 day 18. There you go. This next yeast, selected for fermenting red wines with stable color, intense foremouth, mid palate, tannin structure, and fresh aftertaste, produces very few sulfides. It is also noted for its good fermentation performance, even under high temperature and low nutrient conditions. It allows for the expression of fruit from grapes, reducing the potential with our herbaceous characters in Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and Syrah. Strong interactions of the polysaccharides with the floral and fruity volatile compounds contribute to a more stable aromatic profile in the mouth. What yeast is that one? D21. All right, there you go. Vicky's, Vicky's on, the, on the march here, two to, two to one. <laughs> All right, this yeast for the production of the full-bodied Barrel-fermented Chardonnay and other white varietals, when left on leaves, ripe, spicy aromas, tropical, and citrus notes are developed. It is a highly uh, a high polysaccharide producer known for its accentuated fruit and great volume. On most white grape varieties, this yeast elaborates wines with ripe, stable fruits or jam-like aromas. That should have given this one away. Yeah, D47. Yeah, D47. 4-1 for Chris. What's the ABV, Chris? 14. There you go, 14%. This next yeast, it's used for Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Chenin Blanc, Colombard, and Similian for the production of crisp and fresh fruit intense wines. It enhances aromas of ter... uh, What the hell does that say? I can't even read this. Terroir. No... Uh, terpenic, terpenic, what the hell is terpenic? Terpenic varietals through its beta glucose, uh, something or other activity, and is excellent. Uh, I need a scientist to read this. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, 
Terp, Terp, what did you say? It was Turpin what? It's Terpenic. <laughs> Okay, this is, uh, it enhances the aromas of terpenic varietals through its beta-glucosidase activity and is excellent thiol converter, making it a complementary yeast for developing varietal Sauvignon Blanc passion fruit character. It has a low nutrient and oxygen requirement and will ferment juice with low turbidity at low temperatures. This one you may not get. Was that alchemy? No. QA23. That's the QA23. one. QA23. Yep. On the tip of my tongue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the one I'm using in the uh, Wildflower Project. This next one, this yeast, due to the limited absorption and polyphenols on this yeast, uh, cell walls, there's a limited color loss and structure is protected during aging. It requires uh, a high nutrient addition to avoid potential development of sulfides and demonstrates best results when rehydrated with the right nutrient and protectant. This yeast consistently produces Pinot Noirs with good structure, ripe cherry, bright, full, and spicy characteristics. Wines made with this yeast can be blended with wines made with another yeast to achieve a more complex uh, and more finesse. Is that D two fifty four? Nope. Come on, AJ. What is it? I don't know. RC. It's the one you said. Oh, R- it is RC. RC two twelve. Two twelve. Yep. What's yeah. the ABV? Uh, I think that one's fourteen to sixteen, if I recall. Sixteen percent. Yeah. All right. This last one tends to express the freshness of white grape varieties. Natural fresh fruit aromas are retained for longer compared to wines fermented with standard yeast, such as Prise de Mousse, when fermented at low temperatures below 16 degrees centigrade. And with the right addition of nutrients, this yeast is one of the most flowery yeast ester producers and is the most resistant to difficult fermentation conditions such as low turbidity, low temperature, and low fatty acid content. What yeast is this? K1V? There you go. 1116. I was kind of thinking that one should have had a mention of its uh, origins because I think that one is uh, uh, Montpellier. Is that Montpellier? This is I K-1-G, think 11-16. I just I just realized I've been shouting them out. I'm looking and why is nobody hearing me? Because I was muted. <laughs> <laughs> so, I could have sworn uh, that eleven sixteen was an Epernay, but maybe not. No, no, it's not. Um, yeah, what I read you is directly uh, from the Lalamand uh, catalog online. Yeah. Well, the problem oh, uh, with all Coach, these blurbs is that you're is a the problem with all of these blurbs is that they're all specifically geared towards grape wine. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, one the, the, way things- we, the way we consider them for meads is completely different from the way they, the winemakers use them. I'll well, tell you what, I'd almost sell, I'd almost sell my second born child if I had one to have a, uh, a descriptive table 
of at least the most popular yeast mo- used in mead making with des- with descriptions that apply to mead. That's one that's been since I started got mead. That's been one of the things I really really want to do, and I don't have the skill set to provide those descriptions. And that's just, where I need I need gigi wine people who also do mead to be able to do that, you know, and I don't have that. So that's – call a shout-out to anybody who's out there. If you want to do that, I will totally post it and splash your name all over the Internet. We're thinking <laughs> on the same level here because that was yeah. exactly my thought when I when I went into this because – I wanted to do that for years. I've been wanting to do that. Religiously, you know, when, when I'm looking at yeast – uh, yes, I do consult with Pete as well. He's my mentor. And uh, but first, I do my homework. I just don't go. You know, I'm not like Vicky and pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Pete, what yeast?" <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? I, I mean, I, I, uh, I do well because I, I want to learn, uh, and I want to know why Pete makes the selection for me that he does. And he usually helps me to find it. But. Um, you know, here again, I mean, you, you go out and read these descriptions and I come away scratching my head. And I'm thinking, okay, will that work with honey? I mean, they're talking about grape grapes here. <laughs> you know, grape juice. Grapes and so varietals one, one that you may, or may not have any idea about. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, one, one rule of thumb that I have come to go by with wine yeast is to always add anywhere from two to four percentage points on the ABV because, uh, uh, and I know everyone's different, everyone's results are different, but the way I make mead, uh, when I aerate and keep that um, yeast in suspension, stir three or four times a day, keep it fed well, uh, I have more of a problem trying to get it to stop than I do uh, having it stall, you know, I I, I like a semi sweet mead and and sometimes a sweet mead, and it's difficult to get it without just you know starting out at ridiculous gravities. Uh, they always just tend to go and go and go. I've had seventy one B that's supposed to be a fourteen percent yeast. I've had it go nineteen percent with <laughs> almost no effort, <laughs> you know, and uh, so. You can add two to four percentage points as a general rule. Well, it depends because uh, I, I mean, do, I've had like, I've had EC one 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 eight even being well fed and aerated and everything still poop out early on me. So yeah, you know, and, and quite regularly. Just each individual's way of, of doing things and feeding it, but I guess I'm taking too good a care of them because it's, <laughs> they're they don't stop. Dave, uh, how, how making life you, too good for them. Dave, you you use yeah. some uh, yeast that I never heard of, uh, such as that Vierica. How do you make your yeast selection? Well, the uh, Vierica was uh, that uh, academic advisor to our brew club. That's what he used in his meat, and I don't know where he ran across it, other than some obscure reference I heard was uh, a couple decades ago. It was about the only yeast available for meat making. Yeah. Other than, uh, you know, specifically for meat, other than people just using wine yeast. And I was uh, doing a search on the Vierica the other day trying to figure out what the alcohol tolerance is. And I found a reference on uh, some other homebrew form, but the link was broken. But this guy referenced another guy who claimed he got the Vierica up to 25%. Wow. <laughs> That's alcohol. Almost, uh... And uh, I was like, I didn't know you could go that high. <laughs> Yeah, that's almost distilled uh, liquor. Uh, yeah, I'm like, that's uh, 
It, well, the thing is, when this uh, a lot of very explosion I'm doing, uh, gravity last night was uh, 1027, and it's still going, and this thing started at 1150 or higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I've there. I noticed after you mentioned that yeast, uh, Dave, I, I started looking around, and I did see there was a few places that are carrying it now in packets. Uh, so it's apparently not as difficult to get as it used to be. Yeah, there, there's about three or four places I found that have it in the little 8-gram packs, I guess. Um, yeah. I think I did a search where I got up the actual German manufacturer, and they do make it in 500-gram packs for the commercial guys, but... I don't think anyone in the States carries that. Of course, that's way more mm-hmm. than I would ever need. Yeah. I just... I just uh, going in my fridge. You know, for the, for the sake of argument, I mean, I... I uh, you know, I thought it was, uh, you know, one of those things that you must do. Go out and explore the yeast that you're going to use. Figure out what it is. Uh, you know, learn about it. Uh, but then, you know, the more I read... You know, the more it doesn't make any sense because it says nothing about honey. It's all about wine. So that's where the confusion sets in. So I'm interested in knowing, and this is what I'm finding out, that when you ask the question, uh, you know, like Dave, I mean, he heard from somebody else. And I think that's how all of us, most of us maybe, have, have come to use the use that we predominantly use. Chris uses 71B and D21. Uh, why does Chris do that? Probably because you heard somebody else had good results, right, Chris? Yeah, that's what uh, Ken Schramm and uh, Michael Fairbrother and all those guys use, and I thought, well, you can't go wrong. But Vicky hit on something, something that I've been thinking about, uh, you know, and I mean, of course, being me being the new guy, I have to ask people like Vicky and Pete and AJ, why isn't there a chart that says this yeast is good with this honey, this yeast is good with that honey, uh, so on. I can say that's been a goal I've had for years, uh, and we I just haven't done it yet, you know. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how. I mean, honestly, I don't think I have the skill set to do that. There are we, people out uh, there who could. You know, I don't know how scientific it needs to be. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm wondering if that's something that UC Davis might not be able to help us do, and that's something I'd like to talk to Amina. Yeah, if I can talk to Amina about that, because they've got like the experts there who are one foot in both worlds. So, would they not be in a position to help create that stuff? I don't know. I'm gonna have to talk to her about it and explore that and see what the possibilities are. I mean. They operate on the whole funding thing, so I'm not sure if I can help by, you know, helping generate funding for them or what, but. It might need to be the other way around, J.D., Uh, you know, rather than saying this yeast is good with this honey, there's so many honeys out there and so many variations of the same kind. It might be better for somebody to say this honey does well with this yeast. Or uh, well, even better, fine. this honey does this with this yeast. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's all or fine and may, good. You may and even have to break down into the various meat styles and just say traditionals, this is good. Melamine, yeah. yeah. this is good. Yes. Well, and I'd say, J.D., you're going from the honey perspective, and really the honey doesn't care for the most part. I mean, now that's not 100% true, well, but yeah, you're yeah. really looking at more of what does the mead recipe look like 
once you have that, then that's going to tell you what yeast to use. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to be able to figure out. That's what we need to be able to create a description yeah, and get a general the, idea. Well, and that, I mean, and, and that's the semantic about the whole thing. I mean, wh- whether it's one way or the other, the, the problem is there isn't. And that's what we need to create. But how, how about this? You know, in, instead of dealing, because I'm not I'm really not interested in all the scientific terms and that kind of things. I'm not a chemist. I have no idea what half of those words I said tonight mean because I don't care. Um, what I do care about is how does it react with the honey? I mean, what's the end result? What works? What doesn't work? What kind of flavors can I expect? Uh, you know, these kind of things that mead makers have known or know uh, out there all the time. So why don't we task the mead makers, you know, mm-hmm. contribute. Well, we've already had a couple who've done some really interesting yeast tests, like uh, exactly. um, Love of Rose when he was trying to figure out what would make the best fast mead for his uh, Braze One Month mead. Yeah, and another and one he, I saw. I remember today, he, pub- uh, he published all the results on Got Mead about how that worked out for each of his brewing yeast that he tried out. Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, and there was another It was pretty comprehensive. Uh, one I saw today was somebody, and, and I, you know, forgive me, but I don't remember your, your handle out there on the gotme.com forum, but uh, was experimenting with ale yeast. Now, we heard from uh, um, Frank uh, Galbeck and, and, uh, and the guys down at Golden Coast. They use predominantly, I mean, that's all they use is ale yeast. For their meat, uh, so yeah, those, those kinds of tests are out there, and you know, I mean, a, a good contribution uh, from them would be, you know, I mean, let, let's get it down on paper. Let's start putting all of this information down on paper because it would certainly help. Even the even the people who have made meat for a long time, it's a quick reference, uh, you know, something that, that you can look at, you know. Because I'm confounded. Every time I go, I, mean, I love that Lalaman site. I love reading about the descriptions, thinking, gosh, is this going to go good with this honey? Uh, you know, and then uh, when I get done reading all the descriptions, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm totally, uh, you know, confused. <laughs> I have no idea, you know. I think the best you're ever going to get with with so many varieties of honey is a just a very generalized description. Exactly. Uh, Maybe that's all it takes. Yeah, because, you know, even like I said, with, with the same varietal honey uh, from season to season, you're going to get drastically different needs. Yeah. Uh, even if you made them the same way, the same yeast uh, and the same honey, sure. uh, who, who knows? So I think a generalization is about the best you're going to get, and uh, but even that would help. Yeah, I mean, if if that was, uh, you know, maybe that's all all we need to, you know, at least as a starting place. Um, I mean, it's certainly. Well, it cuts down your experiment from ten different batches, maybe to three or four at least. Well, and that you was, know. Uh, you know, I had a conversation uh, with Sergio. Bless bless your heart, Sergio, and I know you're tuning in tonight. Um, you know, I mean, he 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 wanted me to take some of my wildflower and and do a test, you know, with various yeast and, and what have you. And it was just, I mean, I, it just, it seemed like a waste of honey to me. That honey was so good. Uh, I, I just really don't want to waste it on little one-gallon batches just to determine 
you know, if one yeast might work with another yeast. Um, that honey's going to get me a maser cup. Um, yeah, I mean it. It's. Uh, I mean, I just, I just, I don't, I just don't feel good about using that much honey on on a project like that. Now, I mean, if somebody else out there's got that kind of time and money, fine. Uh, but you know, at honey, you know, we just talked about honey prices here in the United States. They're, they're, you know, five something a pound, uh, out here. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, how much money do you want to spend on your hobby? (laughs) Asking, this is the guy who just ordered two more stainless steel fermenters to (laughs) about 300 bucks. Yeah, right. So the whole argument about price of honey is totally null and void. Well, because you know, how much hmm. did you spend on fermenters? <laughs> well, but but here's the deal, okay? There there a list needs to be generated, and it, I mean, if it's just a simple guide to help people like me, I mean, and, and there's plenty of me out there. I mean, there's all kinds. See them all the time in the forum on all the various Facebook deals, uh, those group deals that that we frequent all the time. There are, there's a lot of them out there. And I know that they're sometimes faced with the same quandary. And not all of them have a Pete uh, to go to. And that's why they turn to the to the Facebook. Sure they do. They can listen to the show and send questions well, to ask exactly. Oscar, you know. Ask Oscar, yeah. I mean, we could probably keep Oscar busy for several shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, several years. Months. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, mean, I would challenge the listeners out there to help come up with a list. Uh, a simple guide, uh, you know, to, you know, maybe based off your own mead making experience, you know, what you have found that works best with what, uh, something for the rest of us to look at, you know, I mean, it's a start. So, what a great idea. So, are we all in for the 2017 Maser Cup? I know JD yeah. is. What about you, Dave? Yeah. Dave, AJ, and Vicky, and Dave, are we all in for the? I have to be 2017. Even though I'm not on the board anymore, if I don't show up, somebody will hunt me down and kill me if I don't show. So I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, are we? I'm talking about yeah. entering. We're going to compete. Oh yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I'm not competing. I can't. That would be a conflict of interest. Yeah, right, I, uh, so. yeah I didn't enter. I didn't really have anything this year worth entering, but uh, I'm trying to get a few things together for next year. Same here. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Maybe if I get my arson gear, but I have a really terrible pro- problem with procrastination that I keep meaning to kick. <laughs> I'll be glad. Uh, so, so if the deadline, so the deadline is like always, January. You can always work on that tomorrow, AJ. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. why. I, yeah, <laughs> that's why I say I'd give my left hand to be ambidextrous. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. I'd give my right hand. Uh, <laughs> Same here. Hug you I'm a total too. Son. Yeah, my husband and I both. And so, of course, our oh, daughter God. is right-handed, you know. Because <laughs> it's a recessive <laughs> Because it's a recessive. Yeah, I know. I was like, Mom, can you teach my daughter how to tie her shoes? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> but I kind of feel, I, I'm, I'm going to feel guilty uh, using JD's own honey to beat him. 
like you know nobody talks about fight club okay so yeah, I'll, I'll send mine in with a little with a little caveat this is the real jd wildflower yeah. <laughs> all right no uh, aj we have got to find a recording of the the heavenly the heavenly chorus that plays yes. in blazing saddles when he mentions randolph scott that's what we need to say <laughs> uh. yes i have uh i'll have three entries going uh pete one i've got the orange blossom which is about oh gosh it must be about six seven months old by now uh, oh, Vito uh, says. Uh, okay, Sergio says if the honey is that good, it'll work with any yeast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Chris will tell you it's that good. <laughs> he lives in Mississippi, so. <laughs> oh wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait! Are you dissing on Mississippi? No, 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 no. Because because he can't get that kind of honey. He can only get one kind of honey in Mississippi. <laughs> Remember, that's all he's, he comes on here, and all he says is all he can get down there is Tupelo. Yeah. Oh, it's such a but, sucky thing to only be able to get Tupelo, you know. <laughs> I don't have that problem. It's not all we can get, but the local the local honey just isn't a meat honey. It's just, it's just not. Uh, somebody somewhere would love it. I can't drink it, and neither can my friends. So, yeah. Uh, I guess well, maybe some beer heads would probably like it. You know, it's it's got that bitterness and sourness to it, and uh, some somebody somewhere would like it. Just not me. Well, maybe it would go well in a braggot. Yeah, I, I thought about that, and the sour wood with with those same qualities to it. Uh, oddly enough, I like the sour wood. I just don't like the local wildflower, mm-hmm. and uh, and Sergio, don't you have to work in the morning? <laughs> yeah, I just, so do I. I have to get up at like six a.m. to. I got a damn doctor. Well, I'm, you know, I'm I'm starting the uh, I'm starting the uh, outro music right now. So, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But bye, uh, everybody. Got, well, oh, are we leaving now? Oh, yeah, yeah. We got about four minutes here, but uh, we're. Um, God, yeah, know, we're we're okay. way late tonight. It's like twenty after eleven. We usually. <laughs> Yeah, all uh, this whole gosh, the show will be short when Pete's not on. It was obvious, right? Horse manure, you know, it's yeah. a total horse pucky. Uh huh. It's always a party here on God Mead Live, that's for sure. But hey, uh, we have fun. One uh, one last shout out that I want to throw out here goes out to Danielle Williams. Uh, she's curious. She bottled. Uh, some meads and wine bottles, uh, and you know she knows that people do it with uh, corks, and she's done it with screw tops and, and various flip tops and that kind of thing. She's wanting to know if uh, you can use mason jars. Why the hell not? I don't. See as long as can. the as long as the lids aren't scratched, because if the lids are scratched, yes. alcohol will eat it. Yeah, sanitized, yeah, yeah. Uh, sanitized, and everything else. Yeah, I would probably question yeah. the little rubber seal. Uh, on the uh, on the lid there, uh, I don't know how it. Well, actually, I don't I, know how long it'll last, but it should work at least in the short term because I've got stuff I've put in mason jars in the fridge and it's stayed there for years. Yeah, I've got uh, you know I, the extra stuff that I have coming out of a batch that I used to top off the carboys goes into a mason jar and I haven't had any problems. Now, 
there were some comments made about the possibility of it uh, expanding and the glass jar even blowing up. I don't think that's going to happen. Mason jars take a hell of a lot of abuse uh, before it would ever get to that point. Just that, in, and just you'd know if the, you'd be able to tell from the the cap if the cap was hard to push yeah, down. The cap is yep. bulging outward, uh, loosening it for a minute. Yeah, 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 over the sink. Yeah, and that's what I do. So, uh, and I haven't had any problems. So there you go, uh, Danielle Williams uh, out there on the Facebook. Uh, I, I don't even remember what uh, 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 so one of those groups. <laughs> <laughs> He's forgotten what group. Uh, coming up, the Dover's Cup. You don't want to miss this. This is uh, hosted by the Savannah Brewers League, February 6, twenty sixteen. I'll be there. Yeah, it's an AHA BJCP certified competition, and uh, you don't want to miss it. Uh, I mean, they use the full 2015 BJCP guidelines. Uh, this year, the competition entry fees are benefiting the Ronald McDonald House of Savannah, Georgia. Uh, and I think, I, I know that they extended the uh, entries, but I think it's closed now as of uh, the 31st. But you don't want to miss the event. So uh, that's February 6th, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, you can get more information, uh, savannahbrewers.com forward slash domerscup.php. You got to put the PHP there or it won't work. Um, and uh, Mike Kripke is going to join us uh, back later on and tell us all about it uh, when it's over and done with. Mazer Cup coming up March 18th, 19th, Broomfield, Colorado, mazercup.com is where you can go for all of that information. Next week, Vicki, Blair Housley, Etowa Meadery coming out. Yep. Looking forward to that. Chris and Dave, thanks a million as always. I swear, we might as well just put them in the lineup. And say, okay, I know, you know, right? You know, uh, but uh, always fun to have Chris and Dave along board here tonight. And uh, thanks to uh, Nathan and Colin from the uh, Fallen Timber Meadery up in Alberta, Canada, and guys, my God, we're going to get the motorhome. We'll see you in a couple of months. <laughs> Coming to get up some of that, some of that honey. But uh, Vicky, say goodnight. Goodnight, Vicky. AJ, say goodnight. Goodnight, AJ. Chris. Goodnight. Goodnight, <laughs> Dave. Say goodnight. Goodnight. All right. Goodnight, guys. Catch you next Tuesday, 9 o'clock, right here.